and right in the middle of the channel it's a dog it was in the water but what in the world is a dog doing out here it didn't seem right it was a german shepherd looking head but it was dark um, almost black but what made me really do a double take was its ears it just had the longest pointiest ears i'd ever seen i was like what is going on here it just goes rope on me like and doesn't even glance at me just like i'm not even there and it swims across to the far side it gets up into the tree line i hear these popping noises but it was kind of gathering itself and then it stood up on two legs and that's when it really took from not being a dog to something else and i had no idea what i was looking at i would it wasn't abnormally broad but it had shoulders and then it reached up with uh, its right arm and kind of steadied itself on one of the trees to its right and then i noticed those weren't paws those were more like hands it turned its shoulders about three quarters of the way and just looked at me for about four or five seconds and i'm looking at it it's looking at me and that's when i started getting that funny feeling in my head of my stomach what am i looking at and i'm still not really terrified i'm not even really scared i just have no basis on what to gauge what i'm looking at compared to something else and then it just turned its head forward and then just starts walking off like a person. to welcome Chris to Bigfoot Crossroads. Chris reached out to me fairly recently uh, and wanted to talk to me about an encounter he had in the swamps of Louisiana. And after talking to him a while on the phone the other day, I had to have you on the show, man. So uh, welcome. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. And um, this is something that I didn't really start talking about until you know um i only spoke about it with my wife and i'm uh, not i really didn't start telling other people till a couple of years ago and whether they believe me or not i don't give a shit or pardon my french but um uh it's just something that happened to me and um it is what it is um so 1989 i was just finishing my sophomore year in college at lsu and i decided to take a summer and work instead of do summer school and ball and all that stuff and um it was an outfitter that i um was working for and i really enjoyed the outdoors um like to fish i'm not a hunter but i do fish quite a bit and still do um so we what happened was my boss decided you know we had canoes and all that stuff and decided to take our rental canoes which i think were either 10 or 12 we had and they were nice um probably winona or something and went 
he had we there was it's a local photographer who's fairly well known with his uh, outdoor shots and uh, decided well you know it'd be a good idea to take people down into the swamps and um teach them how to shoot wildlife uh, and scenery and stuff and that's a great idea um we went down to uh pick the place that um he liked uh called bell river louisiana and it's a very small uh town mainly um i don't think it's got more than a thousand or two people living there um and it is a cajun town you know people speak french um day to day and you know uh, it's just like you see on tv and movies is this uh like the southern part of the state yes um oh yeah okay so in baton rouge we're about Oh, 90 miles from the Gulf, give or take 60 to 90. And so Bell River is about 40 miles south of Baton Rouge. And then you're basically part of the Atchafalaya um, spillway system, the Atchafalaya River. And, um, and depending on what time of year, um, the the wooded part of the swamp, which is most of it, or all of it, really, it can vary from almost dry to, you know, three or four feet, even higher. But at this time, it was probably late May, I would say early June. So the water was going down from the winter um, floods and stuff and, um, or, you know, the runoff and so Bell River puts on the uh, intercoastal highway. If you go to Google Maps, you can look at it, and you'll see the intercoastal that runs across south that part of South Louisiana all the way to Texas. I think, pretty sure it goes all the way to Beaumont. At least I know it goes to Lake Charles. But um, so what they did during the 1800s, especially the 1800s, early part of the 20th century. They were um, cypress trees were in heavy heavy demand for um, you know building homes and furniture and still is it's a, you know one of the better woods to work with and build with it's very sturdy hard you know hardwood and it grows in the water literally and um, so they would cut these canals or you know bayous well a bayou I guess is a natural thing but these were channels about a hundred feet wide when they would be hauling this stuff out. And so those channels are crisscrossing all over the place. If, and like I say, you can see it quite clearly on um, Google Maps, what I'm talking about, you know, anywhere from 90 to 100 feet wide, and uh, then the rest is just woods. And these were like dug out so they could like float the logs around. Exactly. Okay. They would dredge them so the boats and stuff. And you know, because the stuff, you know, it doesn't float. I mean, it's not like super buoyant, but you know, they would haul a whole bunch of these things chained right, together, right. and they, you know, so you had to have some deep water. So that's why they dredged those. Well, then they would cut. In, the, in these in-between channels, like H-cuts in between these parallel channels um, going out um, to, you know, one, to navigate from place to place in between channels, but to dump all the dredgings, which were mainly um, uh, oyster shells, basically, um, you know, uh, fossilized oyster shells, you know, white, um, just like you see on a driveway. Um, 
So we found one of these shell islands, which was about 60, 70 feet long, 30 feet wide, um, you know, enough room to tie up the canoes. And I stayed out there and this is five miles out. We were five miles from the landing. So one guy stayed at the landing to ferry people out in the mornings. And I stayed at the, um, with the canoes. So the first night we get there, um, it's getting you know, three, four o'clock, um, and I'm set up. And as it gets a little later, the um, maybe six o'clock, the sun is just starting to go down below the trees or at the tree level. So it was a beaten down sun. There's plenty of light. And um, I've got my fire set up. I've got my tent set up. I've got food. I have a Colt 1911. Um, sidearm um, because I they did say you know alligators do come up not at night but during the day um, to sun themselves you know being cold-blooded and they do sit up there with their mouths open and try to eat themselves up well I wasn't too worried about that but I'm sitting down enjoying it. it's beautiful and just you know the usual sounds that you hear out in the woods and swamp and some things that you know, at the time, let's see, I've been 20, I probably lived in Louisiana for five years, moving here from Colorado. So, you know, big difference in not only culture, but the outdoors, completely different. Yeah, different wildlife, everything. Yeah, right. Wildlife, everything's different. But um, the one thing that does a lot of the trees down here are coniferous. You know, you get the pine trees, you know, like in Panhandle, Florida, all the way through Louisiana into Texas. Um, so I'm sitting down and I'm just starting to get the fire going good. I was going to make something to eat and uh, I'm just enjoying it, really. They've left you out here by yourself. You're completely alone out here. Of course they did. You know, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. But now I look back, I'm like, you're an idiot. Um, just not from anything besides monsters. There's just so many things that were wrong with that. I mean, because that was before they even had those, you know, the good walkie-talkies that yeah. you use hunting. Yeah. So um, I, I guess I could have shot up a flare or something. But um but so something catches my eye to my left. And let's see, my left would have been basically east. And it was in the water. And this little H cut in front of me was not the normal 100 of the foot wide of the, like the other channels, but it was probably about 50, 60 feet. And right in the middle of the channel, it's a dog. And that's, was my first immediate, um, oh, that's a dog. And then I was like, well, what in the world is a dog doing out here? I mean, I mean I, it was just, it didn't seem right. I mean, you're in the middle of the swamp and, and here's a dog swimming around in alligator infested waters, basically. Yeah, and going from one place to another. It wasn't like he was in distress or anything. He had somewhere to go. And um, it was a German shepherd-looking head, um, but it was dark, um, almost black, really. Uh, but what made it 
made me really do a double take was its ears. It just had the longest, pointiest ears I'd ever seen. I was like, well, that just, what is going on here? That does not seem right. Um, that's what struck me the most was the ears. Um, I could see the end of it, the tail, um, and it was a big dog, what it looked like to me, um, maybe five feet long. That should have been blinker number two going, well, that's kind of big. But it's hard to judge something that's in the water like that. Yeah. So it just goes rope on me. Like it doesn't even glance at me, just like I'm not even there. And I was like, well, that's just the damnedest thing. And it swims across to the far side, which to the tree line on that other side of the channel, which would be from me maybe 100 feet, 110 feet. And it starts, it gets up into the tree line just right in there, um, just kind of steps up, you can see. Um, but the water, I wasn't sure how deep the water was in the woods at all. So, but it was obviously um, deep enough to just come up where I could see daylight under its belly. So it was up there. Even, so I still, that's no way to gauge how big the thing was. Right. So then um, I start hearing, you know, all noise is amplified, you know, and dead quiet situations like that and they're not dead quiet but you know you can hear and i hear these popping noises and i assumed it was stepping on sticks and stuff like that and but it was kind of gathering itself and then it stood up on two legs and that's when it really took from not being a dog to something else and i had no idea what i was looking at um I would, it wasn't abnormally broad, but it definitely had shoulders, not like a dog's, you know, rounded shoulders, but it had shoulders. Um, And then it reached up with one arm, uh, its right arm, and kind of steadied itself on one of the trees to its right. And then I noticed those weren't paws. Those were more like hands. And I couldn't see them really super detailed from, but they were definitely hands and looked like claws at the end. Not like dog claws, but like, I really got a good look at a raccoon about a year ago. And I was like, damn, that's kind of what those hands look like. Raccoon hands, Um, articulated and thin and, you know, nimble. And as it kind of gathered itself up, it was still facing away from me. Then it turned around and looked at me, and it didn't turn its head all the way. It kind of, I don't think it could. It turned its shoulders about three-quarters of the way and just looked at me for about four or five seconds. And I'm looking at it. It's looking at me, and that's when I started getting that funny feeling in my head of my stomach. What am I looking at? And I'm still not really terrified. I'm not even really scared. I just had no basis on what to gauge what I'm looking at compared to something else. Right. It's a really strange big dog. So um it he I don't know what it was, uh if boy or girl, but um looked at me and then it just turned its head forward and then just starts walking off like a person. Um 
I, it didn't walk funny, like disjointed or anything, just very kind of at ease. It did grab a few trees because, you know, it's God only knows what it's like underneath there. But, um, you know, and so I have no idea what its feet looked like, if they were paws or if they were like its hands. I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I think about it, it would have been interesting to see. So he goes marching off, and I can hear it long after I couldn't see it, and just sloshing away, and then it just, that was the last I ever saw of it. Well, needless to say, after a good 30 minutes of thinking about this, that's when I started getting scared, and then it starts getting dark. And needless to say, I did not go to sleep that night. I stayed up all night, um, sitting by the fire, kept that going good, and... um, had that gun right there on my lap. Um, if that thing, you know, if it would have wanted to kill me, it would have got me. Um, no, there's nothing I could have done. It could have snuck up on me a thousand different ways from different directions. Um, and I think when it was stomping away, it really went out of its way. Now, this is conjecture to let me hear it, you know made quite a bit of noise um but when it was in the water it was completely silent absolutely silent um wasn't splashing or nothing like that so i didn't say a thing to anybody i never saw it again but i did the next morning when we everybody was there i was just getting loose and was paddling around and i went to where it was knew exactly how where it was because there was a pretty distinctive branch by its head um, that it came just under. Uh, The paddles were three feet. So I stuck it down on the water and then measured it up another way. I would say it was seven, maybe seven and a half feet tall tops. Um, I've never been a dog owner. I've always had cats, but um, I don't know how tall dogs can get, even the big ones. I'm sure the big Big, big dolls could get pretty big, but I didn't say anything throughout the 90s. Um, then the Internet comes along, and I don't think it was until the mid-2000s or early to, you know, 2005 to, to 2010, somewhere along there, I started listening to podcasts because I've always had a lifelong interest in Bigfoot. And there was plenty of that to listen to, but I'd never heard of a dog man. So that's what I come to figure out it had to have been. But when I would listen to these stories online um, or, or read about them or hear them, hear the stories, this wasn't one of these 9, 10, 11, 12 foot tall hulking monsters. This was just a really big NBA basketball player, you know? Yeah. Um, rangy. Um, not horribly muscular, but you could definitely see tone. It was in good condition. It was very dark. Um, have no idea what the color of the eyes were. Um, and I hear a lot of stories where people say they get this overwhelming sense of dread and doom and terror. None of that. Um, I think this thing just lived down there whatever it was how many there are down there don't know but so i had occasion to go down that way fishing 
quite a bit. And, oh, maybe about 12, 13 years ago, I was in that area around Pier Park or something. I started asking around, did anybody ever talk about seeing big dogs out in the swamp? And you mean, and it took a few times for the guy to say it to where I could understand what he was saying. He was saying, oh, a rougarou, a rougarou. Okay, rougarou. And I think that's the Louisiana version of the loop guru, which um, the French version of werewolf or the uh, when people, uh, the Cajuns came down from uh, Nova Scotia. Um, I think they had brought that down and, you know, things get Louisianaized. And so it's the rougarou. So that's basically all I knew about that animal. Um, and they were, you know, yeah, they're out there, they're out there. Um, and like when you and I were talking, um, yeah, they'll freely admit to that. There's, there are Bigfoot sightings in Louisiana and in, in South Louisiana, mainly North, um, Louisiana is where, um, most of the Bigfoot stuff I hear about comes around, um, you know, on the board of Texas, uh, Kasachie, National Forest, um, uh, Fort Polk, that huge, you know, big tracts of government land. And, um, but as far as the dogman and Rougarou, that's what I'm pretty sure I saw. It has to have been, but it just wasn't what you normally hear about on when people talk about their encounters with these things that are huge and immense, you know, creatures. It, it just, it was big, but it wasn't, you know, that big. And I'm firmly convinced that this thing could go in on all fours into a town at night and nobody would bat an eye except, oh, that's a big dog. And then there's things out there that the fishermen and trappers won't even talk about. They, they don't, it's even bad luck to talk about them. And um, as far as I've, you know, there's vampiric type creatures that, you know, like, not like, um, interview with a vampire and rice type, but weird creatures, you know, just stuff down there. And, right. Um, you know, Louisiana's got such a long history and not good. Not all of it's good. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting state and an interesting culture. And I, I, I love living here. That's why I stayed, but, um, I'd prefer not to run across anything like that ever. Again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd kind of like to throw some questions at you, uh, uh, mainly about just, you know, what this thing looked like. You know, I had asked you if it had a tail, and uh, you said yes, but it wasn't like a bushy tail or anything. Well, it wasn't because it didn't get out of the water. It was still wet, mm -hmm. and it didn't shake itself off like a dog. It just got up, and it was just dripping wet. Um, normally from animals, most animals that you would think when they get out of water, they shake off or they like to, at least this didn't, um, it did have a tail when it enormous, maybe three feet, you know, um, in proportion for its body, I guess it should have been a little longer, but I don't know how much time he spent, you know, I, aren't tails used for balance mainly when they're running and yeah balance and signaling other pack mates and things like that i think uh at least in the dog world 
Well, I don't know what else. This, I mean, it was de- definitely a cadence. Yeah, yeah. Of that line. And then the 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 legs, as much as you could see, uh, what we're going to call the legs. Oh, they definitely had hawks. Um, they it, well, for a dog, it had pretty big thighs. I mean, well, way too big actually. Um, I did notice that. Um, like I say, it wasn't narrow, like a dog. <laughs> It did have somewhat of a V shape, but not overly pronounced, you know, from the shoulders down to the waist. But um, the hips weren't enclosed or encapsulated like you would think of a dog a dog having. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little wider at the hips. Did have um, um, fairly large thighs, um, but it did have the hocks. Um, I did notice that. That was what that was probably besides the head the only thing that made it resemble a dog and you said the uh the the head shape was very german shepherd like except for the ears except for the ears yeah the ears were i don't know why my mind goes back to this animal when i think of the ears but um you know like a lynx has those really pointing curved ears now these the ears weren't curved in like that but that's what it reminds me of um that pointy were they like could you tell if they were like tufted like a lynx like a piece of hair coming off the ends of them or anything that was too far away for me to see now they were pointy but i couldn't tell if they were tufted. i know what you're talking about whenever it was swimming what was the closest it was to you would you guess uh, 15 feet. Oh, wow. 20 feet, yeah. It, and it, like I say, it made really little noise at all. Uh, actually, but if I it hadn't caught my eye, I probably wouldn't have seen it until it passed me. So very comfortable in the water. Extremely. And it wasn't like I've had, uh, you know, uh, my wife would ask me, um, what was it, breaststroking? Or you're talking like it's half man, half dog. And I was like, well, no. It, at all it what but you know the waters are so dark almost black um it i did not see anything off to the side it was not breaststroking i promise you it was dog paddling and the so you really only see the head and the very back end yeah um very german shepherd uh almost almost black but not quite but no other markings it wasn't you know like had streaks of um the yellowish or anything like that in it right and whenever it turned back and kind of looked towards you did you notice any like eye shine or anything like that no and if it if it was no no i just thought it was just dark um eyes um from what i could see from that far away besides the source of sunlight would have been to its you know back when it was looking at me i would be looking into the sun if there was any sun shining like i say it was you know still bright out but not there's no sunlight it was that that far down yeah so no eye shine no glowing or anything like that that would be interesting i now i did have a flashlight at night and i'd be scanning and there's all kind of crap out there that has eye shine and i think it was that and i'm like oh god <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. i just had to unscrew the. I, I just stopped doing that 
because you know, there's all kind of stuff out in the swamps that people just don't think about, but there are larger animals um, in the trees. There's birds. There's, you know, big, you know, like birds of prey. And yeah. um, that's when you start noticing all the other wildlife. You're like, crap, if there's that's down here. I mean, you're usually thinking gator. That's the only thing you're thinking. Right. And you very rarely see those anyway. Um, they're pretty good at staying low. If you're going to see anything of those, you're only seeing their eyes. So did you ever run across anybody else that had seen one of these things? Never. Now, when I did ask these people years later about it, uh, you know, just asking about it, have you ever seen one? No, my daddy did, though, and my brother has. Or, um, I, from what I gathered, they're not a problem as far as, you know, killing people or even bothering people. Um, he did say that, um, what did he say? He said it was like, um, something to do with, uh, uh, juju, um, kind of like luck. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not the best of luck to have seen one, but it's not going to come back and kill you. Um, now they did say that they will, go into people's camps and if they have livestock like small like, like chickens a lot of people keep chickens and stuff like that um they will get those and depending on the season and how high the water is you know like like i said it um in the winter time it's probably going to be dry and uh there's a lot of deer there's not it's not like this thing's not going to have anything to eat um at all i mean there's just plenty to eat in the swamps and um and in the neighboring towns um i didn't i haven't read or even heard of people seeing these things in towns but i'm sure it happens um people in the swamps in the these towns um even further south you know in morgan city and all that they will they tend not to talk about stuff like that out in the open it's really the uh new orleansy um touristy stuff we were talking about that you know they'll try to drum up these. yeah but no one goes looking for them um i don't think you could i mean like what you're saying just thinking for myself uh if i heard a noise at night or just happened to be looking out my window or driving down the road or something and I saw what you're describing on all fours, uh, I would just write it off as large dog and just keep on going. Exactly. I, I wouldn't think twice about it, you know? Exactly. Unless I saw it stand up or got a good look that it, you know, had shoulders, <laughs> that might change things. <laughs> but at nighttime, people aren't even going to think about that. No, that's, you bring up an interesting thing there. I never really got a good look at it when it was on all fours. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, you know, cause one, the angle was wrong cause it was more with its butt right. looking at me. But, um, I really, it would have been interesting to see what it looked like profile wise on all fours. If like was, were, are the shoulders higher, the back higher, you know, that I don't know. I mean, even whenever it comes to like, you know, uh, Bigfoot sightings, for instance, if you've got someone, you know, 98% of the population, at least, if they're out camping with their family or something and they see something uh, 
large and covered in dark hair out in the woods at night, they're just going to assume it's a bear and not right. even like process that it might be a Bigfoot. Right. That's what's going to pop into their head. Right. Uh, it's always going to default to the most likely thing, which in the woods, a bear, uh, out that's roaming a great around. Word for it, default. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's probably what would happen in this scenario. Now, something that I do find interesting about this, uh, over the years, you talking to other people from the area and then talking about, you know, the Rougarou, mm-hmm. you know, the folklore of that is uh, basically a werewolf type creature that implies like shape shifting and stuff. But are- Right. Now, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Uh, they didn't, they never, in English, they would never say werewolf. Mm-hmm. Because I've always taken it, the term werewolf, you, like you said, implies shape-shifting from man to beast. Um, I get the feeling, just the way this thing looked, that that's how it is all the time. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I've heard urban legends in New Orleans, and that being some of the not-so-strange ones, of them, there being, uh, what do they call it? Is it? Something opposite. Um, th- there's a term for going from man to um, uh, wolf, and I cannot remember the term. Um, it's a very specific term. Something opposite, you know, implying you know supernatural. Right. Um, and I was telling you about uh, if you go due east of Baton Rouge towards Lake Pontchartrain on the North shore, just past that, you got the honey Island swamp and there's the, they called the honey Island swamp monster. And, um, and you could remember the name of the person out there, Harlan, uh, somebody. Yeah. Harlan Ford. Harlan Ford. And I think his daughter still is out there, Mm -hmm. but he had that really good, uh, looked like super eight, um, film of one going across walking. That was definitely not, Canid because it didn't have the snout, um, but you know, walking just as ease because that's just water, and you know, you know how hard it is to walk in water even halfway up your. Oh yeah, and this thing's just walking through it like it's nothing. Um, and when they say the the island swamp monster, implying that there's one, you know, there's not just one. Right. Right. Um, and in uh, all along the Gulf Coast from um, Louisiana, then you go to Mississippi, to Alabama, to the panhandle of Florida. It's pretty well known for Bigfoot, really. And um, but I just don't hear a whole lot about these dog creatures or what, you know, the Rougarou or whatever they want to call it. And they're part of the woods, but, um, it just does not, it did not look like what I had heard later descriptions of, of these giant menacing, you know, very aggressive beasts or, you know, the beast of LBL and, um, what have you, or I think it's in your neck of the woods. I've heard, uh, is it Brown Springs? Yeah. Brown Springs. Uh, there's a Choctaw, uh, Falea, and it, it basically translates to long evil being, but it's basically, you know, a dogman type creature. Um, right. very aggressive, very evil, that sort of thing. 
Well, you know, back before they discovered the lowland gorilla, there if they were seeing these things, you know, from the time of the settlers in the United States, they always referred to them as wild men mm-hmm. because they didn't have they couldn't say it was a gorilla type creature because they didn't know what a gorilla was. And it wasn't until you know, when did they discover the gorilla? Um, mid 1800, uh, you know, 1850s on when they started, you know, getting, you know, verified reports of these things and actual, you know, specimens. Okay, well, this is almost looks like a man, doesn't it? But, um, you know, it's man ish. So I think these things have been around just as long as Bigfoot has, but, um, I guess. I don't know. I mean, but I know they have in Cajun tradition, and that goes back quite a ways. Yeah. I think uh, the orangutan, uh, as we call them, <laughs> I know other people, orangutan and everything else. But I think that, e- I, I believe that even translates to like old man of the forest or man of the forest or something like that. Right. And they spend primarily all their time in the trees. Um there was a really good picture of a lady in Florida, South Florida, that took a picture, something rooting around in the back of her yard. It looked like it was by some um, uh, bushes, and it was on two feet, and it kind of looked like a orangutan, but much more robust. Um, but God knows what people, you know, those zoos down there and things can get loose. But they, this lady said this thing was eight feet tall, but it did look like an orangutan. And there's so many different ways that the Bigfoot can look. Some look um, remarkably human, and others look very, um, um, well, Neanderthal, um, but even dark, you know, more ancient than that. Some of them look completely prehistoric. So it, it just is so interesting to me. Like we were talking about on the phone uh, yesterday, you know, it. we may not be dealing with you know, one or two things. There might be different things that we're dealing with that are kind of getting lumped together as one, you know. Uh, and it could be the same way with these creatures, these upright canines. Uh, it, you might have seen something that's entirely different than like, you know, the Beast of Bray Road or uh, something you might run across, you know, up north. But uh, I, I think that your story and your encounter is... Uh, very compelling, uh, especially to someone like myself. Uh, some of the details and stuff that you were able to see and observe uh, kind of lend some credence to it, in my opinion. Well, I wasn't trying to take down notes when I was looking at it. It <laughs> yeah, was just yeah, so of course. bizarre that you kind of remember, you know, I, I would replay it that night and the, the night's thousand nights afterwards it's not something that sits in my mind all the time but you know it's something that i it was clearly it's set in my head that i I know exactly what it looked like and i know how it differs from what i hear on podcasts or shows or what have you um i was telling you when i lived in colorado when we had just moved to colorado um some of the i had no idea bigfoot existed anywhere else and like you i you know shows that we liked in search of and arthur c clark's strange universe um i don't know how she even was able to get her news director to let her do it but linda moulton Howe was at kmgh 
uh, which was the CBS affiliate. And like I told you, my dad was in broadcasting. I grew up in the business and I knew I just, I was more attuned to broadcasting than most, you know, 11, 12 year olds. And right when we moved there, what's the first thing I, you know, I would watch the news every evening and it was a four parter. I think it was four parts um, on the cattle mutilations. And I, um, and it was just, I was like, well, what in the world? Why would that happen? Um, everyone, of course, thought it was uh, predators, but, you know, obviously she didn't think it was, or any of the people or the ranchers there did not think it was. And my dad, who had been in the Air Force, you know, back in the 60s, um, is like, well, it could be the government doing samples and i was like well samples of what he goes well they're downwind from a lot of nuclear test sites from the 50s and they might want to be seeing what animals have in their you know in um systems and i was like well why wouldn't they just go test you know yeah. they wouldn't have to do it like that um but that actually kind of made sense to me um you know that would be a because the Tissue samples that seem to be taken are places uh, like the cord out anus, the um, tongues, the pieces of certain parts of muscle where, you know, heavy metals and would be deposited in someone's built, you know, body mm -hmm. if it was, you know, something like that. But I don't know. I mean, do I pretend to know anything about any of this? No. Do I like to speculate? Sure, I do. It's interesting. Um People think we are at our apex, apex of um, uh, scientific knowledge when we just really don't know as much as we did 3,000 years ago. We've barely gotten our toes wet <laughs> in terms of understanding and figuring things out. I don't think we're anywhere near the apex. Uh, you know, we were talking about the cattle mutilation stuff because I'm basically uh, one decade behind you in age. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember the the 80s and even a little bit into the early 90s, you know, cattle mutilations was a big thing. But you also had uh, that was the time of the big, uh, you know, Satan scare whenever everybody was a devil worshiper. And uh, that was starting to be put on the news all the time. And I remember Geraldo doing his big thing. I'll tell you something that you made it worse in Colorado was because uh, Dungeons and Dragons yeah. had just gotten really popular yeah. and that really freaked out the parents. And, um, not, I never was that creative to get involved in that, but, um, I have a lot of friends that are, and, um, there's nothing devil worship. No. <laughs> if you are finding somebody that's doing devil worshiping, it's usually one or two people. It's not like a coven of witches yeah. or anything. Um, if they're going to do an animal sacrifice, yeah, they might slaughter a goat or something or a chicken. But I think devil worshiping, how would you even get into that community and ask, hey, I am, I'm in devil worshiping. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> not not a very good icebreaker, I don't think. You uh, know, I think it'd just be one or two people and probably solitary. But, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because a lot of that cattle mutilation stuff, that was another theory that it was, you know, devil worshipers or whatever behind mm -hmm. it. But I had a cousin here in Oklahoma that owned a fairly big piece of land and had some animals on it. And uh, she actually had 
you know, something happened to a calf on her property. She found, I mean, a, a mutilated calf. In that way, you know, like the very precision like? Yeah, it was like missing the tongue and everything. Uh, it, it had, I, I want to say it had like uh, a small uh, incision of some kind on its stomach. Uh, very weird scenario. I mean, I was just a kid whenever it happened. But her father was actually a uh, pretty well-known uh, judge in the state. So I'm sure it mm -hmm. was investigated thoroughly, you know. Exactly. And she was yeah. living out there by herself. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, they went above and beyond during the investigation and everything. Sure. Um, but it was, it was brought up, you know, and my family talked about it. So I know that it was definitely kind of a strange circumstance type situation that happened all right we did kind of touch on this we were talking about uh how very very real um voodoo hoodoo and all that is down mm -hmm. here um and it is part of a religion and it's not a louisiana creation this was brought from africa this was brought from the caribbean and um it's not like these famous touristy things in the french quarter um that you're going to be running these are regular people that are practicing this and um sure some of it does call for goat's blood and this and that but um you know voodoo can go good and it can go bad um you can i'm a very 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 i i do not discount when it comes to someone's religion i do not second guess them because to them it's real and if it's real to them it's real um like I said, you don't blame a fart on a, um, <laughs> a voodoo priestess, right. or you will be paid for that. Um, but it, it's just, uh, and it's not in the places you would think. You know, New Orleans being the touristy place it is, yeah. But um, out to my northwest, just a few miles, maybe 20 miles, 20, 30 miles, is a place called St. Francisville, um, just off the Mississippi River. Um, and that's where the Myrtles Plantation is. And I've just heard from more than one person that has been there and stayed there because it's a bed and breakfast that just bizarre things happen. Now I'm talking, not talking like the hauntings where you see an apparition. Um, a very good friend of mine, this is back in the days of beepers. He and his brother got a room there and they stayed there and they both had their beepers you know right there on the side they both it was a double bed or i mean one of those big canopy beds and they both slept in it and both of their beepers started going off at the same time for like minutes and minutes and minutes and all was coming across it were just bizarre numbers um not like six 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 or anything but just bizarre strings of numbers but they were identical on both um things um and then shadows uh the shadow people that he said that um it was all they could do to sleep or stay there they didn't sleep they just stayed up all night and as soon as it was time to you know have breakfast then you know they got up and got out of there but um it just left a very bad feeling in their um their guts, they, something wasn't right. And he goes, this would, I've seen ghosts before. And this is what he told me. I've seen ghosts. This had, this wasn't like that at all. This was just weird stuff. It's just bizarre. <laughs> just, 
Um, I live in a very old part of Baton Rouge, um, downtown, and it's, you know, 300 years old, the, the town of Baton Rouge. Um, and it's harder to find a place that weird stuff hasn't had in a house than it is to find that nothing has happened because my house is very old. Um, it's built in 18, early 1860s. And, um, you know, I don't have horrible things happen, but things do happen. I've seen a few things and it doesn't, I always thought for sure um, that I would run screaming out of a house, pulling my hair out if I saw a ghost. And I've seen the same thing five times since we bought the house and uh, this is going on seven years it's a little girl and when we first moved in the day we moved in we had all the doors open it's springtime it's beautiful um we're just getting stuff done and i'm looking down the hall and i see a little girl probably seven six seven years old um and i the first thing I was like, well, it, she was as solid as a rock. And I was like, well, hey, how are you? And I said, sweetheart, um, there's a little girl in here. And because she wouldn't turn and look at me. She was looking at the wall. Well, I thought it was wall. She could have been, uh, for all I could tell, she was looking in the bathroom. But um, she went and said, well, hello. And she kind of crouched down. She was about 10 feet away from her. And she just fizzled away, um, just dissolved, like in not a mist, but just faded out. And she turned and looked at me, and I was like, ooh. But we did not get that scared feeling. It wasn't, oh, my God. And so we had seen her a couple times later, always same spot, never looked at us. Um, and... I would say the dress that she was wearing, like we, um, like I said, it was like Little Rascals era. Mm -hmm. um, that you know, like the just little cheap little dresses that they would wear. Um, she had long dark hair um, down to just past her shoulder, and um, but never looked at us. But it would just fade away. So that's when I started looking into ghosts and what kind of haunt. I mean, this wasn't like interacting with us at all right and so they said well as close as i could figure it was what they call residual haunting it's just an imprint on time and space um whether something bad happened good happened who knows and then i was like well why is she looking at the wall and then the more i looked into that um actually it was a neighbor i didn't tell her about the ghost but he's like well you know these houses here at some point in these 106 years or however old your house is, the floor plans probably changed somewhat. So she may have been looking into a, at her time, a completely open room or a window or something or out a window. Yeah, exactly. Have no problems with it. I've, I haven't seen her in probably eight, nine months, but it's at the strangest times. It can be, uh, people here, people not here. Um, I did have two friends visiting me um, from out of state, and they wouldn't come back. They left. Um, they they saw her, and when she fizzled away, they just left. So we're going to go get a hotel. I was like, well, nothing's going to happen. I promise you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the whole paranormal and interdimensional and 
how spaces can be right next to ours, just off by vibration. You know, there's so many things that we don't know. And I firmly believe there are, I've heard very credible people on some shows talking about they'll see a Bigfoot take off walking into what looks like just the densest thorn bush. You know what I'm talking about? Those things that, they, I know they have them in the big thicket with the big, long, pointy thorns, and they just, like, dissolve into it. Like, they kind of shift out of our dimension and just disappear. Or, or, or it's like when those footprints – or people be following footprints in the snow, and they just disappear. You know, it's just – it just is so fascinating to me. And my brother, who is much smarter than I am, has um, – he. He goes, well, there are certain ways you could do that if you start with string theory and he starts droning on, and then I tune out. <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't understand. Um, but, you know, it's fun to think about. It's interesting. You know, I've got lupus, and it's really affected my um, uh, joints a lot in the last 10 years. And so I can't – I've always wanted to go out into the – forests and you know i can still get out in boats and stuff but um you know actually you know just walk around with the right frame of mind and see what happens and what i see i think it all has a lot to do with your frame of mind if you're out looking for bigfoot or um anything for that i mean any kind of cryptid if you throw out good thoughts you know maybe they will let you see them i think it's entirely up to them if they want you to see them not whether it's paranormal or not they're just that good i would like to talk to more dogman witnesses the rougarou has always been a thing that's fascinated me man i don't know if it's just because it's you know louisiana and that's kind of close to oklahoma or what but uh all the crazy stuff that goes on down there, man. Uh, it's such an interesting state whenever it comes to like legends and folklore and things like that. And to meet someone who has encountered one of these creatures in the flesh, uh, I, I just think it's awesome. So I really do appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate it, and um, I enjoyed it. And please uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me anytime. I, I love talking to you. Oh, for sure. Likewise. Likewise. And if you've encountered something that you can't explain, maybe a Rougarou or a Bigfoot or anything at all, email me at BigfootCrossroads at gmail.com. Check out the website if you get a chance, BigfootCrossroads.com. You can find links to social media, a contact form to reach me directly, past episodes and links to merchandise. Everything you need, all in one place. And until next time, remember, there's something in the woods. Thank you.